Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Dedicated to Henry Farmer. In the years of the primal Propaganda death ensemble, burial to be, corpses rotting through the night in blood-laced misery. Scorched earth, the policy, the reason for the singe, singe? The pendulum, it shaves the blade, the strafing air blood raid. Are those correct? Those are the lyrics of War Ensemble by Slayer. Um, Those are the lyrics, at least, that came up when I searched for the lyrics. Infiltration, push reserves, encircle the front lines. Yeah, that sounds right. I can tell you that um, often if you put in lyrics to a band online, um, I've done it myself when I've been in rehearsal with Primordial and realized that someone has copied my lyrics, um, you know, basically what they hear, not what they've read. And the lyrics, of course, are printed in the booklet of every album so they're listening and writing them down buy the bloody albums i tell you well anyway or at least email me and ask me for uh what the proper lyrics are i've actually sent in proper lyrics for primordial into some of those sites there's one called dark lyrics dark lyrics um and they have lyrics of all sorts of bands Anyway, sport the war, war support. is Surely that's support the war, war support. The sport is war, total war, when victory is a massacre. The final swing is not a drill. It's how many people I can kill. Of course, War Ensemble by Slayer, starting off episode 126 of Agitators Anonymous. I am Alan Averill, the hostest with the leastest, the singer in a heavy metal band. And today's podcast will be about a few different things. Democracy, war in Ukraine, Mr. Biden, all sorts of stuff. Please remember that this is just my opinion. I ain't a scientist. They're lying to me and getting me pissed. Um, I'm just, a, like I said, a singer in a heavy metal band. And these are my opinions. This is what the podcast is. Agitators Anonymous. The clue is in the title. The principle of the show is just freedom of speech, of course, and the idea that scepticism is the only rational perspective on almost everything in the crazy clown world that we live in, where you are bombarded by constant 
completely different streams of propaganda moment to moment. How can your lizard brain cope with all of this? Well, mine certainly can't. So anyway, episode 126. I've never really been a huge fan of Seasons in the Abyss. Some of those dinky riffs, Skeletons of Society, Blood Red, mm, not for me, not really for me. Of course, there's great songs on it, and realistically, it's a great, great record. Dead Skin Mask, um, Hollowed Point, uh, Spirit in Black, War Ensemble, Ensemble, Ensemble. Ensemble. I always thought this was a strange title, War Ensemble. Ensemble, um, I mean, as a word, this kind of means, let's say, that's a gorgeous ensemble you're wearing to dinner this evening, Margaret. Do you wear a tie or a dicky bow? Maybe a cravat or a camaband? Maybe even stretch a saraband, my dears. Um, who knows what a... Uh, who knows what a saraband is a cummerbund I vaguely know from a previous life as I said um, when I used to direct Ealing comedies or whatever um, there's a modern reference for all you uh, all you movie buffs um, but I fear that someone within the Slayer ranks has misunderstood the word ensemble how about war enzyme war assembly war machinery uh, war lust etc I don't know war ensemble um, might just be what you wear down to um, dinner that night when maybe one of your great leaders announces there will be a war, ting, 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 etc. War anything, but ensemble, very odd. Who wrote that Slayer lyric anyway? Uh, my money is on Kerry King, but my money is wrong. It says Jeffrey John Hanneman and Thomas Enrique Araya. So that would mean that Jeff wrote the music and Tom wrote the lyrics. Like I said, season season abyss leaves me half on the shore, half um, with my you know um, half with my feet on the terra firma. Um, good album, but certainly not as good as South of Heaven, in my opinion. South of Heaven is far darker, and there was another route that Slayer could have gone down um, and followed with Spill the Blood and songs like Seasons in the Abyss and. Anyway, well, I've talked about that before. Stop trying to sidetrack me. Anyway, as I said, today's podcast is roughly speaking about war, um, about mainstream media, about propaganda. Um, it's a bit more of a spicer meatball. Tuesday is the kind of fluffy version of the podcast where I waffle about or gossip about rock or metal or whatever else um, and some musical stuff. And Friday is, of course, the meat in your sandwich. Um, and today you know, might be a bit like that. There'll be a few opinions that some of you might not appreciate. Maybe you will. I'm not sure. Um, but remember, this is just simply an exercise in, um, you know, and exercising my grey matter. Firstly, firstly, by the way, Mr. Biden declared the pandemic over on TV the other day. So no more boosters for you. No more masks are needed right there, Miss Lufthansa. Well, did you know some countries in the world are still defending quarantine on entry. I could give you a clue, but it would be safe to assume it is Mr. Trudeau's Canada. Who knew? Who knew? Anyway, his name might pop up later on in dispatches. But what Biden says uh, goes. He is, after all, your president. Um, and you can witness White House aides trying to walk back his comments he made in an interview, I think in 60 Minutes or something. Um, of course, a whole economy is devoted 
to the pandemic never fully being off the table. And if it is over, well, then there's no more boosters needed, right? And, of course, it comes in the same day, I think, that in New York uh, they sack hundreds of T-shirts teachers for not taking their medicine. Um, Well, there's no need now because Mr. Biden has declared it over. Um, And I'm not really going to go into the the story doing the rounds that um, it escaped now from a lab in the United States. Um, It's hard to know where to begin, how to cope with all of these points of information. But I did watch Mr. Biden claim that it was over. So there you go. Um, Mr. Biden says it's over. So, of course, I've said it before, but the pandemic lockdown moment will prove to be one of the most pivotal moments in modern human history. Are we talking fall of the Berlin Wall and communism size? Perhaps, perhaps not, but certainly on the Richter Richter scale of activity. Um, Quite a few people have asked me, do I regret any of the things I talked about in the podcast before? And of of course, putting out now over 125 plus episodes means, of course, if you put something of your real opinion down, and they are that, opinion pieces. I ain't no scientist, as I said. Um, But the truth is, no, uh, specifically, not specifically. I still think, as I said, that um, what was a few weeks to flatten the curve, which became two plus years, um, and I said, counting in some countries will continue to morph and evolve and shape power and economics for a long, long time. Um, you know, shut down the world's economy, stop supply chains, distribution chains, interrupt farming, print trillions of dollars and halt people's access to the um, medical system. Did anyone think that it would all go back to normal now, six months out, heading into this winter? Of course not, right? I mean, that's um, kind of self-evident. I would have thought that... Um, things have not returned back to normal and that we are discussing things like rolling blackouts across Europe. Um, Good name for a back of a T-shirt, that actually. Rolling blackouts across Europe. Rolling blackout could be a good name for a black and roll band, actually. But it's the war. It's the war. That's what I'm going to talk about, mainly in this podcast. Pesky old Putin is behind the reasons baked beans are now 50% more expensive on the shelves around the corner from you, right? Right. Oddly enough, as I stated before, we heard little about the war in Ukraine for quite a while until last week we were informed of huge Ukrainian gains in the East. And a friend informed me of one particular online resource and simply said, watch as this filters out into the mainstream media tomorrow morning. And lo and behold, it did exactly as he claimed. I think the site was called The Grey Zone, I think, Um, which... I'm going to come on to later, but um, someone quoted me a whole load of things that Roger Waters um, of Pink Floyd uh, fame has been discussing re the Ukrainian war. Now, I kind of fell out of love with Roger Waters after I heard him um, on the radio a few times reading out poetry, um, something about that as a statement against war that makes me feel a bit uh, cringy. It ain't 1969 anymore, my friend. It ain't 1969 anymore. Anyway. But I would contend, um, is uh, an end to the war in Ukraine really what our Western leaders want? Do they want an end to the war? Um, We've been told already that Boris, before he was um, ejected, um, before he was ejected, appealed to to Zelensky uh, not to broker a peace deal. Um, I don't know if that was before or after his wedding photos appeared, but... Apparently, that was a conversation. But you have to ask yourself, if the U.S. has passed a bipartisan weapons 
aid bill for Ukraine. Why would they want an end to the conflict if they plan on selling weapons to Ukraine for the foreseeable future, right? Um, I did a podcast about Afghanistan with the snappy title Made in Afghanistan, as in Iron Maiden Afghanistan, which quite frankly, I think, did not get the props I deserved for that title, at least. Um, the cost of human life was the tragedy without a doubt, but the munitions military industrial complex will view that conflict as a success as they got to sell their weapons. Um, it went on for decades. There seemed to be no conclusion. Um, and, you know, the US withdrew um, in a kind of highly chaotic fashion. But the, um, you know, the industrial military industrial complex made their money just as they are lining up to do now. Um, from what I understand, and remember, I'm just a dim-witted singer in a heavy metal band um, who pretends to be cleverer than I am. Actually, I met someone briefly who called me that on a forum, um, and I didn't bring it up. Um, yeah, he might have had a point, but I stood there and went, oh, you're the guy who said I was thinking that I'm cleverer than I am. Well, you know, might be true. I suppose it is. I mean, as self-evident by 126 episodes of the podcast. Anyway... But what I understand is, in terms of artillery, Ukraine is severely undergunned, and that there is plenty of old hardware um, the conflict in the East could use, but the powers that be across Europe, across the West, are reluctant to send old hardware. I mean, there's no profit margin in old stuff, right? Ah, now things are beginning to make sense. Just like, you know, selling an old, scientifically proven vaccine for maybe a problem that has arisen without a patent to the people who need it the most. Uh, but this has, you know, no profit margin for big pharma. So anyway, there you go. Let's uh, whip up some new um, angel delight or whatever. But it's similar to the war in Ukraine, sending them old hardware, which might be sitting around in a rust and peace style uh, warehouses somewhere just isn't good business. And it's just like Big Pharma, the military industrial complex, complex lobbies and funds much of our political systems. Um, and really, if you think our politicians and political systems are not compromised by tech, military, media and medical uh, power, then in my opinion, you have, you have a rather naive of the, uh, view of the world. Now, that might insulate you and protect you and probably... On some levels, you're just better off because once you begin to take in the myriad of relentless streams of negative information, um, like I said, your lizard brain malfunctions and you look out the window and go, well, the sun is shining today. I'm going to go out and get a beer and forget about all of this. And probably you have a far better time um, on the beer than me um, because I get to a point where I go, Ugh. as I said, all these myriad of negative informations are, um, you know, they make it more and more difficult to uh, process all of these things. But like I said, tech, military, media, medical power, um, it's not 100%, of course, but to varying degrees. As I always state, the truth lies in the, the grey area. So the munitions companies want to sell and send brand new spanking hardware, still with the tag on, um, to the war in the East, i.e. new stuff, stuff that's just been bought. They don't want to send old stuff. You don't want that secondhand um, vinyl. You want the brand spanking new vinyl. And like I said in the last podcast, um, go and watch. And this is a little aside in terms of um, the sort of, what can I say? 
democratic principles or the idea that um, every now and again you have to concede that the people on the other side of your political divide might be right about something. The idea of consensus, the idea of uh, reaching a consensus with people that you fundamentally see yourself as opposed to um, was one of the principles of modern civilization or modern democracy that I think has been eroded. Like I said in the last podcast, you can go and watch members of the EU Council, including Merkel, basically laughing at Trump. Um, yes, the T word, telling um, telling them that they are too dependent on Russian gas and energy from four years ago. And this is one of the things I think is very important to try and realize. And it's not easy. It really is not easy because your skin rankles when you hear the T word and you go, Ugh, that sounds horrific in my ears. But I think it's very important to try and realize. Um, and it, I include myself in trying to um, recalibrate my emotional stasis to these things. But we need to have the humility to admit when people you oppose might just be correct about something or on the money. And I think this is one of the things we've lost in modern society. The maddening effect of social media has been to place our emotional stasis, our lived experience above fact, and also to tell a generation of people that the world revolves around them. Um, and therefore, in, it all goes to increase polarization. Uh, how can I agree with those I disagree with, nay, hate, as it reflects on me and my standing alone? Um, and therefore, how can I virtue signal about that? Or how will I appear to people on social media? But the reality is the truth of geopolitics has nothing to do with your feelings or mine. Um, in fact, you know, as I stated before, Trump is a heinous human being, no doubt. But on this count, and looking at this video, he appears to be right. And your grandmother might not be able to heat her home this winter in areas of Europe. Uh, who are right now being prepped for rolling blackouts. So, you know, it's um, something greater and it's very hard to fully articulate in society. But the idea that we cannot find consensus um, to reach the middle ground between two polarized political ideals in modern society after 10 years of complete and utter um, mental derangement at the hands of social media is part, uh, a huge part of the problem. The idea that you can't stand in the same crowd as someone you might politically disagree with to listen to a speaker speak about a subject that you both agree with because people are complex. They're not easily siloed into these polarized opinions and we take a little from column A, a little from column B, a little from column C and D we are complex human beings, and that's not what the uh, modern media and social media landscape is trying to tell us. It's trying to polarize us and have us at each other's throats while the political class goes on about their business. Um, what am I talking about? What am I talking about? Hey, it's Friday. It's that Friday feeling. Give me a break. Um, how are people? Uh, here's something I thought about, though. Maybe think about this. How are people going to keep remote working? How are they going to be able to do so if there are energy cuts? Huh? Um, have we thought about that one? If there are energy cuts and there's going to be, um, if there's going to be, let's, who knows, maybe even the internet itself might be, you know, damn, the speed slowed, um, things cut off for a couple of hours a day. I don't know. This is what we're being prepped for. I'm skeptical of whether that will actually happen in practice. But if you lose your internet connection or it's slowed, surely this is going to affect people who are remote working. It's people who are contributing and paying uh, taxes to their uh, nation state. Um, how is that going to roll out, pun intended? Um, have we thought about that one? Anyway, the point is, 
I, uh, I digress, but the point is our lack of humility and hubris doesn't allow us to reach compromise or consensus anymore. Doubling down is a virtue and calling the other side all sorts of names only adds to the gulf widening and the potential for civil conflict greater and has us at each other's throats. Blah, 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 blah. While the 1% get on with their business. Of course, the same can be said for people from the other side. There are plenty of things, the left and right, and um, the left are right about, the right are right about, that people on the right will not concede, that no one will concede, because it reflects on them and they have placed themselves at the centre of these debates. Um, the left are, of course, right about tackling uh, health care and removing it from the grubby hands of pharma, etc., although then we'll turn around and defend, um, you know, the structures of vaccination that were put in place by the state, um, which profit big pharma. But however, I'll give you an example of something from the other side of the fence and a bit micro to that last brain breaking macro point. There are posters around um, Dublin, my Dublin, my grey and rainy and overcast Dublin on this Friday afternoon. But there are posters around the place calling for something for rock for rent. It appears to be bands playing to raise awareness about what is an insane situation um, in the in Ireland. Rent, a, a concern of the old left to which I viewed myself as part of rent, healthcare, housing, these kind of things, real concerns. Uh, people can't afford to live in the city anymore, pay rent, travel to work, feed their kids and potentially heat their homes. Showed the poster to a friend, he made a face and went, oh, they're like communists, right? In a sceptical way. Now, he may be right, but that's hardly the point. The point is the cause is just. Rent is out of control. I would gladly go to the event to contribute or send a donation um, or, you know, do a little bass solo. At least someone is trying to do something to raise some awareness of this crazy situation, regardless of which side of the political fence they stand. But the instinct in some people is like a knee-jerk reaction to comment on that rather than the cause, as I see that as part of the problem. Everyone in the city is concerned about the cost of rent. Right, left, centrist, um, whatever you identify as, whatever, whatever um, it is, you still got to pay the, you guys still got to pay the man at the end of the month. So what does it matter who you stand beside when that's the cause? At least that's how I look at it. And we have to get over ourselves. I spoke to many people in Central Europe over the last year or two who said, well, I agree with the principle of the protests, but I don't want to be in the protests because the people I have to stand beside. And I said, well, then the man has won because he stopped you going out to exercise your voice and your voice is exercised in terms of its size, its volume, its vastness, etc., etc. And if you are cowed and scared, this is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, 
and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary of going outside because of the fact that you might have to well in Ireland it was to stand beside somebody in a Celtic t-shirt um, who was you know screaming all sorts of um, craziness to a point every protest will have those fringe elements but if you let the fringe elements become the dominant factor within that protest then it means uh, I'm going to stay at home and what happens well what happens happens and the 1% take it as a um, or whatever you want to call it the political class take it as a tacit approval of their undemocratic moves. Um, so are there really are there really European politicians who want the war to end? Um, they will be able to heat their houses and live outside um, the bubble of society for the most part, or is it just a gross mismanagement on their behalf and a misrepresentation on mine? The fact is a proxy war like this into which they can sell and make money off selling weapons is a windfall. And they don't come along every often. You know what they say. Don't let a good crisis go to waste. Um, but they don't care if you um, become, another pan- become, as I stated before, and I've been trying to get across to people, they don't care if you're another pandemic statistic. They don't care really about Ukrainians being bombed, I don't feel. And this is the one thing that people on both sides of the polarization share. And I just think they don't, actually realize it uh, while they're at each other's throats they share a mistrust um, and a distrust of power um, and rightfully so of government um, of this political class well I say both sides the more anarcho left perhaps um, there is of course a section of the new left who want to be locked down harder and find themselves defending the actions of the state and the political class which is in my opinion kind of shameful and a contradiction compared to where the left came from who would have held that power to account but I think this is just not wanting to find any common ground with the people they deem as enemies or have been told are their enemies um, or being objective about the truth Um, ultra-libertarians can find a lot of common ground actually I think with let's say anarcho-syndicalists the horseshoe effect of politics and then eventually you both reach around to the same point I said reach around yes the horseshoe effect. If they sat down and discussed a few things, who likes being told what to do, eh? Well, some of us. But like I said before, I feel politically homeless. So don't claim me for either side. These are just the opinions of a singer in a heavy metal band. Some people, however, have said that Putin's structure relies on kickbacks and corruption. And one of the reasons why the invasion has stalled and failed is because the system is so corrupt. And he only has 
his cronies installed. So, yesterday he announced a partial mobilization. What does that actually mean? 300,000 reservists. Does Putin really want 300,000 more uh, trained troops with guns in the system? Or is this grandstanding to the people beyond him, who he has to keep um, on side? Or does he? Who's going to train them? Um, Ask, by all accounts, across the army. Uh, Putin's yes-men are in charge of operations. And like the famous dictators before him, um, autonomous decision-making doesn't seem to exist. It stops with Putin, which is one of the reasons, I think, why autonomous um, Ukrainian insurgents made their gains last week. But it seems like a kind of incredible claim. A broken internal system is somehow going to cope with 300,000 new troops, conscription, kitted, booted, trained and armed for a winter in Ukraine. Uh, It makes me think that the word itself, a partial mobilization, gives an awful lot of legroom for many different, um, many different interpretations. Is it simply a SOP? Um, A SOP? Yeah, that's a rather odd way to um, to frame things. But to powers within Russia uh, that are critical that Putin is not going far enough. Dissent against the war or against the military operation, as it's called, is not uh, allowed, as we mostly know. But dissent um, that they're not going far enough kind of is, although it's clear that across Russian media, when you look into things a bit more in the last while, that they have different voices. The different voices. Well, I'll get into that. For example, I'm going to mention a couple of names of people here, but Gherkin, who played a role in the annexation of Crimea, has stated that a fate similar to Gaddafi could be waiting for Putin uh, if he doesn't retake Ukraine completely. He said this on his uh, blog, if I'm not incorrect. You may have heard of Daria Dugan, a pro-war patriot um, commentator, uh, daughter of Alexander Dugan, but um, he was a, uh, a sort of what could we say, a metaphysical, if we can call him that, philosopher on the future of Russia and the history of Russia and what that means. I find his rhetoric kind of confusing and has a lot of callback language to what you would have read in the new century, early sort of early 19th century writings of many failed Western pseudo-mystics, all ontology and archaic spiritual touchstone language pertaining to the spirit of empire and what it means to be Russian. But his daughter was killed in a car bomb. Um, he stated that the military operation is over. He states Russia is in World War Three. They want Russia, Russia to be removed from any influence with the West and its liberal values, and that Putin is only Putin, but not Russia's destiny. Now, I watched, I watched a video with Daria, and she is discussing how right-wing parties across Europe, specifically Le Pen in France, had been reaching out to her and thus extremists like her father, conservatives in what we would call principle, um, but in a European context, I would say, betraying those roots and siding with anti-democratic forces in Russia. I called this out uh, before in the podcast, but this pits what would have, um, what you once would have thought to be polar opposite political ideals, um, sort of standing on the same plane that pro-European political figures on the right should want to side with clearly anti-European forces within Russia. And we saw this among certain sections of the Western right who rushed to describe Putin as some sort of religious crusader pushing back against woke ideology. 
Um, how daft, how stupid. Incredibly short-sighted and altogether idiotic, as if Putin gives a shit about any of that stuff either way. But it clearly shows, again, to me, uh, a misreading, not only of history, but the short-termism of the culture war and how it's permeated, um, it's permeated our political systems. It's short-circuited them that we can't see things in the in a sort of grander, wider historical nar- narrative. And this time from the right, yep. My enemy's enemy might be my friend, I suppose was the logic. Uh, right. Maybe look, take a look. I mean, the truth is that maybe, maybe I should stay away from discussing all this kind of stuff. But look, what are we supposed to do? Just avoid all of these things and just discuss um, the drum sound on Injustice for All? over and over again and never actually put so many of our opinions um, out there. Never try and, as they say, speak truth to power. Ah, look, I don't know. But like I said, it's as if Putin gives a shit about any of these things. Now, what can I say? Um, All of this just points me to the understanding that um, most sides of our political class see no real future, I think, in electoral democracy. Now, if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you will know that I think lockdown, for example, was a further journey along this process. Um, Emergency laws rushed through Parliament to grant the political class more power, uh, not voted for, not discussed. And many of these decisions were, of course, also made by supposed left-wing politicians. In fact, it was the entire well, it was the entire spectrum, either side, who smashed and grabbed the dismantling of democracy. Um, it's kind of in full effect, if you ask me, brick by brick. It's a slow process. Um, and we can see lately the spate of people being uh, deplatformed, being removed from um, the payment uh, platforms as well. So giving them no right to earn and just removing their voices as we slowly slip towards a kind of, um, I've said it before, the social currency, digital authoritarianism, which is flanked by the um, removal of fiat currency and the installation of a digital currency with all of these caveats and restrictions and being tethered to the uh, political classes. You know, as I said, these emergency laws and powers. What am I talking about? What am I talking about? Democracy. I'm talking about democracy. Um, who needs to ask the people? Democracy kind of just gets in the way. And I'm getting that feeling more and more as we progress through this year that um, democracy itself um, is just, well, what can I say? These connections, whether it's Trudeau himself praising China and their methods, among others, among many others, but um, it points clearly to me to the principle that across the West, our political class seem to view democracy as something of a barrier to their ambitions in relation to economics and power. And it's kind of become shameless now. They don't even try and hide the idea that the game, um, that there is even a game um, or that it isn't somehow rigged. As I stated before, the politics of lockdown, and the pandemic have expedited and laid bare these kind of ambitions. Why, el- why else would almost every government in the Western world need laws outlawing protest, even here in Ireland? And I return then back to what I just said, which is a protest is a protest about, um, it's about, well, I mean, what are you protesting about? Not who you are standing beside necessarily, whether you agree or disagree with them. And that's, kind of the principle of this rather random all over the place message but the clue is in the words lock and down you don't get a choice yeah i know i know what are you talking about blah 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 
Are you naive enough to believe in democracy? Yeah, look, I get it. And it's all about percentages with me. And certainly right now, the dial is moving one way. And not to say that 10, 20, 30 years ago, democracy wasn't co-opted and corrupted to a degree. Um, you know, nothing is 100% or nothing is 0% if you ask me. Um, but the dial is certainly moving more towards um, democracy being more under threat, if you ask me. Anyway, back to the Russia, back to Russian stuff. What are we talking about? Um, on, on Russian TV, uh, a character called Peskov um, is warning everyone else. Um, he's, he's trying to become uh, a broker for peace. He's on there warning all the um, firebrand rhetorics, warning them all of the implications of full-scale war. Um, but then it's pointed out is that maybe the regime wants all these voices out there. If any of you are familiar with the Bitter Lake Adam Curtis documentary, which I've recommended many times before, you will have seen uh, and heard from Russian advisors to Putin stating they want all points of view out there to create confusion and have different narratives and strings to pull. Um, basically, um, the the Kremlin being in charge or, you know, arms or of the Kremlin basically stating, well, when I desire it, I will bring the right-wing gangs out on the street. When I desire it, I will bring the left-wing gangs out on the street. I will organize for them to never quite know the truth. Um, and that's this sort of propaganda that's on display. There have been, it would seem, people calling for peace on Russian t mainstream TV. Um, but if you put all the points of view out there, you can, I guess, test the waters to some degree, sounding out the peace position. Um, and there is a recent poll which suggests that within Russia, 10 to 15 percent are super pro-war, 20 to 25 percent are anti-war, but silenced, and 50 to 65 percent are a passive majority, a main body who are becoming increasingly fatigued with the war by sanctions, by the state of things. Um, but um, they have more or less abdicated the political responsibility of the system to Putin, going... Um, you do the politics and we will trust that you, um, you know, support the state in those on those terms. So unless Putin actually wants to use nuclear weapons, what is he going to do to save this operation? I'm doing my parenthesis, um, little rabbit ears there. But partial mobilization can mean many things, right? Is it possible that we could see social dissent? Um, or could we move closer to a full scale war, which would mean... Um, you know, short-term ballistic or short-range ballistic nuclear weapons, etc., etc. What could come after this system if it collapses? Um, if it collapses, it could bring chaos. So if Putin is pushed into a corner, does he reach for the strategic nuclear weapons? And by the way, um, the drum sound of Unjustice for All is very strange, isn't it? I read that um, Lars just played bar by bar and then they clipped them together in many of the sections. Hence why some of them sound a bit, bit disjointed. And people go, oh, he's, you know, he's, he's, he's playing on the backbeat. Is that true, though, or are they just odd cuts? I'm really not too sure sometimes. Anyway, does the West need to leave a door open? Well, certainly going back to early comments, it doesn't seem like Western leaders are pushing for peace. They want to sell weapons. But they're also, it would seem, not applying uh, pressure to Putin, allowing the narrative to be moved in various ways. I mean, have we heard anything about peace talks lately? Um, 
I don't know. I don't think we have. Um, it's become what they wanted was a kind of hybrid war that you can control the narrative and retire from the news cycle when you wanted it to. But it feels like the story can't be retired. I mean, there are so many sections to the to the uh, the Russian army. Putin has his own internal army loyal uh, to him. I think they're called the Wagner Group or something. Maybe I've got that wrong. Kind of like a Praetorian Guard situation. Um, who also spy and report on the main army body. Um, and there are all sorts of divisions, Z division, who, if claims are to be believed, rounding up, um, who are believed to be rounding up uh, men from Russia's prisons to fight, offered release in exchange uh, for the front line. Um, again, how do you cope with all of this information in a place which is far away, which you are not, in a country which you do not live? Is it just because, do these did these things always happen like this? And it was just um, because we all believed on one common media narrative, we didn't get to hear every single thing all of the time, although I would have imagined that um, this would have always kind of dominated the mainstream narrative, whether it was 1986 or 1996. Um, do I believe that Putin only has finances and economics at the heart of his decision-making? I've seen people say that, but um, it does... What can I say? It does seem to be or seem to appear that somehow um, some of the Russian army hierarchy did actually believe they would be welcomed as heroes in Ukraine. Did they really believe that? But I think Putin does have a czar complex, czar-like ambitions to write his name in history. He's already said that the dissolution of the old USSR is the greatest tragedy in modern history. So he wants to be the guy to put the band back together. Um, and there ain't, no, there ain't... Uh, that much time to put the band back together before the band aren't able to play a tune anymore. Anyway, um, how much money does one man want is a very good question, I would say. So claiming it's all about finances seems incorrect to me. But it seems that many of them did think they were going to be welcomed as heroes, liberating Ukraine um, from their Nazi regime, etc. Um, and I'll sort of return to uh, Roger Waters, I suppose, somebody... Uh, sent me some links to some of the points he was making just to round off this um, war ensemble of a podcast. Um, and, you know, our our boy Roger was kind of making uh, points about the um, about the Minsk II agreement and that NATO agreed it would not go any further east than the eastern border of Germany. I mean, this is true, but also um, the West agreed during the Minsk agreements um, to defend Ukraine against invasion, which it has not done. And also Ukraine agreed to give up its nuclear weapons as a deterrent. So, again, there's kind of two sides to that argument. That the Zelensky government is, um, you know, is part of a US-backed coup um, from 2014. Now, I don't know enough about that to comment exactly. So that would be a bit foolhardy to uh, make a, an entire decision. But I would say that most coups that happen in the world are backed and funded by somebody who is um, has something to gain from that, whether it is an ideological opponent to those on the other side or um, economic operatives. I mean, why am I realistically talking about Roger Waters? I don't really know, to be honest. Maybe this podcast hasn't made any, uh, a whole lot of sense. Um, it's just, you know, Roger Waters has always been quite an outspoken voice. Um, and, of course, he's older. He has that kind of fuck you money. He's in that sort of um, Morrissey, Ricky Gervais type territory where he can pretty much say what he wants. But um, 
Ah, just somebody commented on the Patreon.com. I realize I haven't spoken about any of the socials or any of the other stuff, but yeah, Patreon.com slash Alan Averill, A-V or I-double-L if you want to support the show, all that kind of thing. But, you know, uh, someone brought up Roger Waters right there, and so it's been he's been lurking in the back of my head to discuss some of the things that he says. Um, I can say something or other about... Um, if we take, and I'll finish with this, but that is, if we take every any country in the world, and then you place it, um, let's say it, you know, it's invaded, it's occupied. Let's take Ireland for example, um, in place of Ukraine. But whatever the dominant ideology, political culture, political class of the invading country, there will be a, I think, a natural reaction in complete opposition to that class. So, um, Ireland had, um, you know, a, a, a sort of Marxist, um, hard left um, opposition. Um, and it made sense because what it was opposing was the empire, was colony, um, colonialism, etc., etc. And so people pushed back and some people within that movement identified with the thing that represented the complete opposite the complete and utter binary opposite choice. And I think you can see the similar thing in Ukraine, um, in that if you look at the history of Ukraine and um, Russia, whether it's the Stalinist enforced famine, the Horodomor, all that kind of stuff, the uh, feelings of enmity um, among sections of those two societies because of what has happened historically are huge. So if... Um, you know, let's take that um, Ukrainian famine and who enforced that Stalin, Stalinism... Uh, communism, etc. It makes sense that within this conflict there would be people um, uh, on the Ukrainian side who represent the complete opposite of that. Um, to me, that just makes some sort of um, some sort of sense. And I think that every um, situation within the world, when it comes to invasion, occupation, um, geopolitics like this, would have some of the same the same polar enemies. Anyway, my friends. That's the end of episode 126. Was it foolhardy? Who knows? I don't know. Why did Tom Ray use the word ensemble? Ensemble? I don't know. Um, but like I said, Tuesday's podcast is a bit more gossip, a bit more lighthearted, heavy metal rock discussion. Friday's is the uh, more serious meat in the sandwich. And why not? And why not? And that's what today's um, ramble was a bit about, um, you know, just stuff that's happening in society. Um, a bit of geopolitics, a bit of Ukraine, a bit of war, etc., etc. If it ain't in your bag, that's fine. But the podcast is called Agitators Anonymous. And every now and again, you have to do a little bit to agitating. Well, my friends, episode 126. If you enjoy the podcast, uh, rate it, recommend it, send it to a friend. If you dislike it, also send it to a friend, whatever you want. We are here to exercise our freedom of speech, my friends. All right, Agitators Anonymous, over and out. See you guys next week.